Good evening, ladies. Welcome, welcome. I trust everybody's doing well. So are you ready for the holidays to begin? Yeah? Some are yet, yeah, I'm ready for them. Some are going, no, not already. All right. Last week in chapter 2, Remember what the people said? Let us rise up and build, and they set their hands to do this good work. And so what we saw was this average man, a servant in the king's house, who was called to a task of great importance. And he was just an ordinary man, but he was called to do an extraordinary thing. He was called to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. The Lord had impressed it upon his heart, and he just kind of took the bull by the horns, and he says, I will do this. But he knew that he needed the people to be on his side, and now they're excited. They're getting ready to rebuild. Before we get into God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to have the scripture before us. It's an amazing example of how People can come together and work together for a common cause. And so I would ask that as we study this amazing scripture, that you would uh, just anoint this time with your Holy Spirit so that our hearts are, are able to truly see exactly what you are trying to teach us. So open our eyes to see, our ears to hear everything that your Holy Spirit desires to teach us. And so we love you, we thank you, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now they're rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And for the sake of time, we are not going to read all of Nehemiah chapter 3, because there's 31 verses, and it's all full of difficult names that I can't pronounce. So, (laughs) and, you know, uh, I just readily admit that. So... We'll read a few of them, and you'll see kind of the pattern of what is going on throughout the whole chapter. And so what we have now is Jerusalem being rebuilt. Here's our map that I had earlier or last week, and it begins in verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Eliza, Eliza Shib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. And so this is the sheep gate up here. And they dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananet. So an important thing to notice here is the priests started the building project. They were the spiritual leaders, and they are setting the example. Very important that spiritual leaders set the example in the church. They have to be ready to uh, get their hands dirty, so to speak. And notice that they began at the sheep gate. Now, the sheep gate is where they brought in, remember from last week, the sheep. Unfortunately, what did they use the sheep for? Well, it was for the sacrifices in the temple, a good portion of them, because most of the sheep were kept outside of the city walls because that's where they had grazing land. So the only sheep that came through there were the ones that were going to the temple to be sacrificed. And even though that sounds absolutely horrible, it was meant to be horrible because when you sacrifice an innocent sheep, that really tells you how deep your sin is and that God takes it seriously. So that's what that was for. So 
They immediately started uh, fixing the sheep gate. They dedicated it to the Lord. And they were setting the example of let's get our lives right with God. First thing. Then verse 2. People from the town of Jericho were next to them. And beyond them was Zakur, son of Emery. So an interesting thing to note. That Jericho is not that close. I mean, if you were to drive it, yeah, it's only 19 miles away, but they didn't have cars. Um, Most people didn't have donkeys or camels to ride. And Jericho is in the desert. It gets very, very hot out there. And they would have to walk 19 miles uphill to the city of Jerusalem. And it was through canyons, and there were robbers in the canyons and things like that. And so this was difficult, but what it does show us is that the people were truly dedicated to making their beautiful city, their once beautiful city, beautiful again. And so they pitched in. Then verse 3 says, The fish gate was built by the sons of Hazanah. They laid the beams set up its doors, and installed the bolts and bars. And so what they did is basically secured the gate, didn't they? And then Merimoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakoz, repaired the next section of wall. Beside him were Meshulam, son of Berkiah, and the grandson of Meshashabel. Wow. And then Zadok, son of... You can see why I didn't want to read every one of these names. Um... So then verse 5, next were the people from Tekoa, and though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. And so Tekoa was almost as far away as Jericho. It was 18 miles away. But the interesting note here is that it says that their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. So they didn't want to get their hands dirty. They didn't want to set an example. And we can kind of draw a lesson from that because, you know, how would you like to be the leaders from Tekoa now forever in the scriptures of people who wouldn't get their hands dirty and work with the common people? But, you know, they... At least their town decided to help out with the work. But this process goes on all the way around. They start at the sheep gate, and as the, the chapter 3 goes on, it, it actually goes all the way around and then it back up to the sheep gate. And 27 times we see the, the words next to them or after them or after him And this tells us that it really was a group effort. Everybody was pitching in so that everyone had a portion of wall that they were responsible for. And like I said, there wasn't one gap. And if, you know, there was a gap, then that meant that the wall wasn't being repaired. So in this chapter, we see Nehemiah, a simple butler, uh, who was taking on this task of organizing all these people. Can you imagine? It had to have been thousands and thousands of people in order to get this wall of Jerusalem built. Uh, He had no experience in rebuilding of any sort. He was a construction worker. He wasn't anything. He was, you know, he, he gave the king wine, and that is all he knew. But He served a God that could give him those gifts. And even though he faced a great challenge, he had great faith in a great God. Amen. But he wouldn't be able to accomplish all this work if it hadn't 
have been for the people of Israel. They were excited about rebuilding their city. They were uh, sad because it was laying in ruins. And so they're going, yes, it's about time we got a leader and let's get to work. And so each family, uh, like I said, was responsible for their portion of the wall. And if they finished their part of the wall, then they would go to someone else's wall that needed help. You know, maybe theirs was uh, in a little bit more disarray than their portion of wall was. And so everybody was working together to see it accomplished. Um, so if there was a family that did not do the task that was anointed, excuse me, appointed to them, then there would be a gap in the wall. And what would happen is then an enemy could slip in through uh, that gap in the wall. And so the whole reason for reconstructing it was for protection so that people could go into the city and find uh, refuse. Um, so simply put... It is working together for a common cause. And in this case, the cause was to protect the people. And so what can we apply to our lives today? What application do we have? Well, we are called as a body of believers to fortify the church. And I'm not talking about the building, although it's, it's nice to have a building and buildings are important. The body of Christ, the church of, of Christ is all you ladies. And so the common cause is protecting what we have here, building up the church, supporting the church. But most important of all, we work and we build together to bring glory to God. And we create a sanctuary for people in the, you know, who are on the outside of the church to be able to come inside. See, that was one of the goals of the city of Jerusalem, is that when uh, an army would come against the Israelites, they would all run into the city where they were protected. Likewise, you know, out there in the world, it's a pretty scary place, isn't it? And so so kind of look at our, our body here as protection for people who are, have been beat up by the world. They come in, they're able to find sanctuary. They were able to uh, find refuge. So, and we have to do this all in love. That's the most important thing and for the glory of God. Ephesians 4.16 tells us, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Notice what it says. He makes the whole body fit together. And we don't have to do that because he's already taken care of it. He's already given each of us our portion of wall, so to speak, in order to strengthen the body. We must each do our own special part. Also look at what the goal is, so that the body is healthy and growing and full of love. If we're not doing it for love, then it's not worth doing. So what happens if somebody in the body of Christ doesn't rebuild their wall? Well, what would happen if somebody didn't rebuild their wall in Jerusalem? Again, the enemy would come in. So the enemy would have a way into the body if somebody wasn't uh, doing their part and causing extra strain on other people. If somebody's not doing the, the task that was given to them, whether because they are unable or, they're, heaven forbid, they're, they're lazy or something like that, then it would cause a strain on the rest of the body of Christ. 
and the enemy would, I mean, we could get weakened, and then the enemy could come in. The church can be spiritually attacked in this way. So each part of the body of Christ has an important role to take. And any part of the body that doesn't do its job, then the whole body suffers. So the Apostle Paul addresses this very thing. Uh, if you would like, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 22. And it says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. We all share the same spirit. So we all have the same spirit of God living in us who is organizing all this. And then it says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make any make it any less a part of the body? Well, of course not. That's a rhetorical question. And if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? You know, it's like one of those horror flicks from the 1960s and 70s, you know, the crawling eye. Um, or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. He's talking about us. He has put each one of us exactly where he wants us. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. And I can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Now, I actually lived this out one time. Jeff and I had been backpacking up in the high Sierras. And we would go in sometimes a week, sometimes two weeks at a time. And we just loved it. And, of course, we were younger back then. And we came out of the High Sierras one day. We're near the Mammoth Lake area. And we know of a, uh, a hot springs in the area. So we said, oh, wouldn't that be great to just go sit in the hot springs and soak our aching muscles, you know, and stuff. So we did. And we just, I don't know, we must have sat in that creek for two hours. It was wonderful because you'd get a blend of the, the hot you know, water would blend with the cool water, and you could find just the perfect temperature for you. You know, it was like a, it was a God-made jacuzzi. And so after we got done, I stood up and promptly jammed my toe into a rock. You know, I was all relaxed, and it's like, now it's like, oh my goodness, I'm about ready to cry. It hurts so bad. You've ever stubbed your toe on your bed in the middle of the night? Kind of the same thing. And I'm going, oh, I I think I broke my toe. And Jeff goes, well, we can't, we need to find a campsite. So I put on my sock, put on my hiking boot, you know, and I limped um, around for a while. We set up camp, and later on, I took my sock off, and then my boot, or took my boot and then my sock off, and lo and behold, I I have this big old swollen black toe, and Jeff looks at it and says, yep, you broke it. And, but I tell you what, it hurt so bad, it was like all-consuming. Have you ever done that where you just can't seem to relax, and it's like, oh, my goodness, such a... I mean, we're talking about a little tiny toe, you know, about the size of my pinky. And it was causing my whole leg to hurt. It's kind of the same thing. 
That's what it's saying here. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Um, I once knew a guy who uh, had an accident with a lawnmower. Sounds gross, I know, but he cut off his big toe. He said he had to learn how to walk all over again because he needed, I mean, God designed our bodies perfectly so that every part is necessary. And that's what Paul was alluding to here. Every part is necessary. When he didn't have that toe, he says he kept falling over because his balance was all messed up. And so even the little parts are so necessary. So sometimes we think that, you know, I just have this little part to do in the church and I just feel so, you know, minuscule. That's not what's being said here. Even the weakest parts are important. So what's, um, what's the point here? It is the same with the body of Christ. Every part is needed. And even more important, we have all been designed specifically for a purpose, something tailor-made just for us. Now, I love to sew, and I've actually tailor-made things. And, you know, it, nothing quite like having an outfit. You know, some of you ladies that had alterations done, say, on a wedding dress or a gown or something like that. You know, it's always nice to have it fit you perfectly so you don't have to worry about anything. Kind of the same way. God has tailor-made a, a, a gift that he has created you for, and he's tailor-made it just for you. But some of us have so much trouble with this. We struggle with it. So I came up with three things as to why sometimes we struggle. The first one is we fear. Excuse me. We fear what God has planned for us. That was a big deal for me. I was afraid of what God was going to call me to do because, you know, there are some scary things out there. Um, For me, uh, I just knew he was going to call me to some jungle somewhere where they had big spiders. I am terrified of spiders. And I remember one time Jeff was, I was literally talking to him on the phone, and he was in Brazil, and I was safe and sound at home. And he, I heard this barking in the background. And I go, what is that poor dog barking at? You know, it sounded like he was yelping. And Jeff looked out. He says he looked out the window and goes, oh, my goodness, the poor little dog is running down the road, and there's a spider chasing him. And I'm going, wait a minute. No, a spider can't be chasing him. And he says, literally, they have these big spiders like this. You know, and it was chasing this poor dog down the street. And he goes, oh, you know what? You have got to come with me next time. And I'm going, uh-uh, uh-uh, I ain't going. No, are you kidding me? So I was terrified of the spiders. And so, you know, we sometimes, we have irrational fears like that. But 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So what he's telling us is that if we are fearful of God's calling on our life, then the cause is, what I see, is one or two things. Number one, the enemy's trying to discourage you, trying to put doubt in your heart, which happens quite a bit. Uh, He would like nothing more than to put fear into your heart in order to squelch God's plan for your life. So be aware of that. Another very good possibility is that you're just fearful of being used. You see, our minds it can be our worst enemy, can't it? Uh, we all have hang-ups. Uh, we all fear putting ourselves out there, getting in front of people. 
Uh, We fear people not liking us. We fear failure. You know, what if I make a fool of myself? You know, these are all legitimate fears. But what does our verse tell us? Not only did God not give us fear, but he gives us the power to overcome that fear. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. I don't know how he, it's different for everyone, so I can't tell you how he's going to help you through your fears, but rely on the Holy Spirit. If he has given you a gift, he will give you the ability to overcome that fear. So does that mean that I never get afraid? Of course not. You know, I'm always afraid of something, you know. I'm just human like everyone else. So, you know, but God always gets me through it. He always gives me the power to get through any fears that may come my way. And so another reason, though, why we don't always do what God created us for is we actually resist the true purpose. We see this happen a lot. We have it in our mind that we want to be something that God has not created you for. You know, perhaps you see uh, all the accolades that somebody might get from uh, being, you know, in, in the, the spotlight, you know, saying, wow, you know, I think I should be there. You know, I should be getting that attention. I should be getting all that uh, praise and glory. You see, these are all the wrong reasons. But we never see the difficulties that person has to go through who's in the fishbowl, who's in the limelight. I often feel sorry for, um, uh, I don't know why, it's just my thing. I feel sorry sometimes for uh, like movie stars or uh, famous musicians because they can't go anywhere. They can't go to the mall and just walk into Macy's, they would get swarmed by, you know, fans and stuff like that. I would hate to live like that. And so I sometimes feel sorry for them. But, you know, that's what they kind of sign up for. But we often don't see that difficulty when we see the, uh, what somebody's getting because of the position that they have. So we need to trust God in this area. If it's fame that you're after, then that feeling is always empty. How many times do we have the the movie stars who get uh, this fame and fortune only to find out that there's nothing left? You know, it was all emptiness. So how do you know you've been resisting God's calling on your life? Well, once you've arrived, you still aren't satisfied. That's... Notice I didn't say that you aren't challenged. You're just not satisfied. It's like, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. You see, when you're in the center of God's will, you know this is, wow, this is the best. And it is the best. That's the glory of it. Um, Another thing is sometimes you feel like what you're doing is meaningless. It's like, Lord, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I don't feel like I'm having an impact here. Sometimes you lose your drive. It just becomes a job. You may even feel like a fraud or you're out of place like, you know, I know I'm not supposed to be here, but I've pushed my way through, you know, and by golly, I'm going to get it done. And sometimes we even lack confidence, more specifically, confidence that God has called you to that. You see, when it's a work of the flesh, guess what? You got to keep doing it in the flesh. But if it's a work of the spirit, you know, it's God doing that work through you. See, we need to be doing what God has created each one of us to do. And when we do that, we are content 
and we are confident that God's going to do that work through us. Ephesians 2.10, we know this one. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So don't make plans outside of God's plans. That always fails. Eventually, See, God has a wonderful plan for each one of us, so don't go outside that plan. Uh, Something that I've always relied on is James 4.14. I love this scripture. It says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. Other versions will say it's like a vapor, you know, here, now, then poof, it's gone. It says it's here a little while, and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans. Do you see what that says? Your own plans. You're boasting about your own plans, and such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. When God has given you a task and you know this is what you should be doing, but you're resisting it because you think you know better, God created you. He knows you better. But sometimes we do think that we know best, and then we find ourselves outside of God's plan. You see, he created you for a purpose, and if you embrace this purpose, then you will find that fulfillment that only God can give you. And then the third thing, know your purpose. Now, this is a very common question I get asked, and this answer is often very, very simple. You know what? He created us for a specific purpose. So you are already well on your way to know what he wants you to do. And you're being refined, much like gold is refined. He, it's always been gold, but when you melt gold... All the impurities, they float to the top, and then you're able to scrape off those impurities. And the the goal for the goldsmith is to be able to see his reflection in the melted gold. It's being purified. So when we receive Christ, we became that new creation, amen? We are now, you know, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And now that creation is being refined so that we can reflect the image of Christ. So what am I getting at here? See, you have already been given your purpose in Christ, and God is refining you. He is preparing you for that work. And sometimes that preparation goes on for a whole lifetime. But he starts the minute you receive Christ, and he begins to change you and mold you and shape you so that you become that, that creation that he wants, so that you know the purpose for which he has created you for. Then what is your purpose? What you love to do already. Some of you have probably noticed that you love to do... Uh, Say you're a prayer warrior. You love to pray with people. That is a gift of prayer. You're lifting people up. An accessory prayer. Do you love to host people? You love to uh, take care of people? You have the gift of hospitality. Do you love working with children? You have the gift of children's ministry. You love to just love on them. It's just the thing that brings you the most joy in the kingdom. Do you love sharing the gospel? Guess what? You have the gift of evangelism. See, we don't all have the same gifts. 
Each one of us has specific gifts, and so on and so on. So look at what you love to do most for, for the church, for, for God, and go, is that what my gift is, God? Is this what my purpose is in the church? And if you still don't know, you're going, hey, I have no idea. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 tells us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what does that tell us? If you don't know what your purpose is in the body of Christ, just ask. He will tell you. He will begin to show you. And be ready to listen to what he tells you. And sometimes that means you give up a a dream that you may have had. Sometimes that's what it is. Because that dream wasn't meant for you. So wrapping up, in Nehemiah's time, everyone did their part, and the wall was finished in 52 days. That's amazing when you consider that it was rubble. And they all worked together to build this wall. And likewise, when we all work together to build up the body of Christ, it becomes strong and impenetrable. And it's because we need to have the body of Christ strengthened because there are people that want to disrupt what we have and the the enemy doesn't like it. So they want to disrupt what we have here. They will cause divisions. They will bring controversies. They will want to bring glory to to themselves instead of glory to God. And Paul warns of this. In Romans 16, 7 through 18, it says, And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord, but are serving their own personal interests by smooth talk and glowing words. They deceive innocent people. This is why we must work together. These people are like a cancer within the church. And so when we're all unified as one body, then we will recognize these people because it's like, well, wait a minute, why is there a third hand there? You know, that what's wrong here? And that hand is, is not doing what the rest of the body wants to do. So it's like that way you can recognize it when it comes. So don't fear the calling God has placed on your life. Don't resist that calling and think you know best. And if you don't know your calling or purpose, then ask him. He will he will show you your purpose. And I want to leave you, leave you with one of the best verses on this subject, and it's in our um, homework sheets. And it's found in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back-to-back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Amen? We need each other. 
We must have each other. Just like Nehemiah needed the children of Israel, we need each other in the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this amazing scripture. And I would ask that if there's any ladies out there that don't know their purpose within the body of Christ, would you even now begin to impress upon their heart exactly what their purpose is? Lord, encourage them in that area. Bring others to come alongside that recognize the gifts in them and to be able to encourage them, Lord. We all need encouragement. So, Lord, just help us to be mindful of all of our sisters, brothers and sisters around us so that we can continue to build up uh, this amazing thing called the body of Christ. Lord, we love you. We want to be loving towards everyone that might come in contact with, uh, with us, Lord. And so as we break up in our groups and begin to uh, discuss this further, Lord, would you just anoint this time? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.